Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then he then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 119 of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great show in store for you guys today. Uh, we're going to talk a little news. We have an interview with Akili Parnell. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lab 11 and Umi Farms. Uh, we got a cultivation segment with our strain of the fortnight. Uh, grow tip on eight ways to increase your yields right now, as well as answers to your listener grow questions. So stick around. Episode 119 is coming at you. If you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop, then you need to know about Sweetleaf plant nutrients. Sweetleaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. Check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweetleaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. Patreon supporters also receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15. Hey, all right. Welcome back. And this is episode number 119 of Grow Bud Yourself. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong uh, for the incredible tune. And uh, here we are. 119, Michael. How are you? 119. I'm doing well. I'm doing I'm doing as as well as I can be doing, I suppose. Not bad. Not <laughs> bad. Yeah, we and are you. Here. I um, I heard on the street that you attended a, a, a fish concert recently. Is that, <laughs> is that accurate? Uh, that is accurate. Yes. I did go <laughs> to one of the, uh, one of the multiple shows here at Madison square garden of the band fish. How, how was uh, that? Enjoyable, enjoyable for sure. You know, I uh, actually got to experience it in a suite, one of the fancy oh, uh, that's box the way to go. suites with the the food and the drinks and the, nice. you know, the, the sushi and the, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, you know, shout out to friends that uh, allowed that to happen. And uh, yeah, good stuff, man. What a light show. Uh, you know. You've come a long way, man, uh, because our listeners may not know, but Dan used to be a bit of a lot guy back in the day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm up in the suites. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I spent that certainly spent some time uh, on lot uh, shakedown street uh, selling a variety of different <laughs> uh substances to get <laughs> from show to show and stuff that happened with the uh, horde tour uh and uh allman brothers they were kind of traveling sort of kitty catty corner to each other back in the 90s and then uh of course a lot of the uh, festivals here in the northeast area um reggae fest in vermont and um you know a lot of uh you know dead parking lots and uh government mule and all all kinds of uh all kinds of shenanigans out there. 
all this the stuff. Old, any any string cheese biscuits. incident? Any string mo cheese, and, disco yeah. biscuits, mo. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, whoever was in town, you know <laughs> what I mean. Like uh, I helped, I helped out to facilitate, uh, you know, musical enjoyment. Uh, you were helping the people have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, and uh, you know, got to go to some shows, a few a few shows here and there as well. Because you were uh, never like really a fish guy. You were more of a dead a dead guy, right? Back uh, in the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, back in the day. I mean, definitely. And then you know, uh, I also listened to a lot of hip hop and 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 punk rock and hardcore and a little bit of everything, really. But uh, but certainly enjoyed uh, a few dead shows. And you know, Allman Brothers and Horde was, I think, at that time it was like uh, I want to say Blues Traveler, Ziggy Marley. Uh, black crows that kind of thing so you know yeah dabbled dabbled yeah <laughs> i was uh this just came up the other day but i was actually at the very first bonnaroo in tennessee um which was a trip i, I believe i was too you I, were there I, well yeah we used to go every other year i think being yeah. and I, uh for high times because they wouldn't let us have a booth but they did let us cover the event uh as long as we didn't talk too much about uh drug use <laughs> at the it, event it sticks out to me because uh, i was driving down with a friend from new york and this is in bumblefuck tennessee and the car crapped out uh sort of on that giant line going into the venue so we actually rode into bonnaroo on a flatbed uh tow truck in our <laughs> car in this like old saturn <laughs> nice. and, uh, drew quite Classic. a few looks yeah it was quite the entrance that we made but um rather yeah, well, than having go. the tow truck take you to where someone could fix your car you just you just got towed went, right to the line. right in yeah we were like just <laughs> drop us there and we'll figure it out nice yeah. <laughs> excellent excellent yeah you know that that's the classic festival thing too though is like that that like seven or eight hour line of just waiting to get in we luckily we had like the uh the backstage uh you know vip road or whatever we, we could cruise in on right and just laugh at all the people waiting like elitists in line. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Backstage, I mean, you know, the VIP area at Bonnaroo, I mean, they had like, uh, you know, sh shrimp boils and, and crawfish and it, it was, you know, catered to the nines, like, you know, ribs from Praters, barbecue and all kinds of amazing uh, treats back there. You see, we had we had very different experiences there. What I remember <laughs> was uh, an overflowing porta potty lake. That consumed a great deal of the campgrounds and and definitely Ouch. gave some people hepatitis, but um, but still a good a good uh, <laughs> weekend of music. And uh, I'm glad you enjoyed fish at MSG. They always they pull out all the stops at MSG. It's usually oh, yeah. a good time. So, yes, fun times were had by all, uh, and uh, certainly enjoyable. Excellent, excellent. All right, well. Well, there you go. Uh, we are, as Dan mentioned earlier, in episode 119 of this show. And as we do for uh, most of those episodes, we should probably kick things off with a little cannabis news. Yeah, what's going on out there? All right. So uh, people might remember last week we talked a little bit about how the DEA uh, was called before Congress to testify about uh, descheduling or rescheduling, I guess, uh, cannabis. And uh, so we discussed that Drug Enforcement Administration head Ann Milgram 
uh, had testified before that House Judiciary Committee, and Representatives uh, Gates and Cohen wanted to know what the DEA was doing about President Biden's request to look into how cannabis is currently scheduled under the Controlled Substances Act. And if you're interested in that, we we broke it down last week, uh, explaining exactly what that is. But um, cannabis still remains a Schedule One drug with the high potential for abuse and no accepted medical value. So at the time last week, Milgram told Congress that the DEA couldn't do anything until the Health Department complied with Biden's request to review marijuana's standing. But now, after getting thrown under the bus by Milgram and the DEA, the Department of Health and Human Services responded to a Freedom of Information Act request uh, for the original letter from the Biden administration, and they claim that there is no record of any such letter. So, as we noted last week, uh, government agencies are dragging their feet and passing the buck on this issue, but it's actually worse than it appears. Uh, the DEA has been waiting on this request, uh, this requested cannabis report from the Department of Health, and the Department of Health has absolutely no record of ever receiving this request, so they're clearly not working on it. So absolutely nothing is happening, and even yeah. when it appears that there's some sort of effort finally underway to reschedule or even deschedule cannabis, the reality is that the government has no such plans. And in fact, they will go to great lengths to ignore calls for change and maintain the status quo, apparently. Uh, well, that's awful. And that's really too bad because that could go a long way to uh, convincing some of the younger people, uh, you know, that government can work sometimes. <laughs> I guess, you know what I mean? It's like, here they are claiming they sent a letter that no one can find. And I mean, that just illuminates the bureaucracy and and, and the idiocy of, of these bloated organizations that basically just take in a bunch of money, but don't really do a heck of a lot. And so I don't know, man, I think, uh, you know, Biden needs to just really forcefully let it be known that this is important and it has to happen uh and it'll happen you know it's that simple and you know that would go a long way to potentially you know convincing people that hey things do change for the better i don't know you know at least it would for me <laughs> but uh you know and of course i prefer and and everyone should definitely go for descheduling taking it off the schedule altogether i don't think it belongs on any of the numbers of the schedule even four or five or wherever however low they go uh, I don't recall seeing alcohol or uh, tobacco or caffeine um, on any schedule. So uh, I would certainly put cannabis, you know, in 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 that category of things that, you know, it, it's actually safer than any of those three things and even sugar, I would say. Uh, so, and I don't see sugar on any schedule at all. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I say take it off the schedule altogether and uh, legalize it federally for anyone to grow, uh, sell, consume, uh, smoke, dry, concentrate, uh, <laughs> topical, edible, or otherwise. Or otherwise. Yeah, I think you hit the uh, the nail on the head there. Biden has to to take the lead here and just yeah, say, just hey, guys, clear that it's a priority and into important. this. Yeah, yeah, because mm -hmm. right now you've got one agency saying, well, we can't do anything until they give us something. And that agency saying, well, we never got anything, so we can't give you anything. And then nothing happens. But you're right. Biden has to to step in and say, get this done uh, now. So. 
Okay, so that's what's going on there. But that's important because uh, according to a new Gallup poll, half of all Americans have tried cannabis recreationally at some point in their lives. Uh, the survey found that 50% of respondents admit to consuming marijuana at some point. However, a surprisingly low just 17% say they smoke pot regularly. Uh, this latest survey reveals a 2% increase in cannabis use, as a similar poll last year found that 48% uh, percent of respondents had tried marijuana at some point. Naturally, politics plays a role in the overall numbers, as 57% of Democrats have consumed cannabis, compared to just 39% of Republicans, according to this survey. Uh, age was less important, uh, as 51% of those between 35 and 54 years old partook of pot, while 49% of people 18 to 34 and 47% of those 55 and older tried getting high. Interesting. So a lot of people smoking the pot. More, uh, Just about half the country right now has tried it. Yeah, well, you know, again, we, it needs to be legal. So, you know. <laughs> And the places where it is, and it, you you mentioned it somewhat, you know, divided on partisan lines. But at the same time, that's more uh, Republicans than I would have guessed. Yeah, thirty nine percent, thirty nine percent. You know that, and so even that kind of shows you it's really not partisan. So, uh, you know, let's unite at least on this one thing if we can. You know. <laughs> well, speaking <laughs> of uh, legalizing, let's talk about our home state uh, of New York. I guess our adopted uh, home states, you being a Massachusetts man, and I'm from California, but we live in New York and have lived here for quite a while. And anyway, uh, New York has experienced its share of problems rolling out its retail sales program, which is a bit of an understatement. But the latest stumbling block involves a restraining order against the Office of Cannabis Management, which oversees the state's uh, pot industry. And that was issued by a Supreme Court judge. So this order bars the state from granting any new marijuana retail licenses in the state, but it also prevents newly uh, licensed dispensaries from opening. And the order stems from a lawsuit brought by disabled veterans who claim that the state's program that gives licensing priority to those impacted by the war on cannabis is unconstitutional. And part of the state's social equity program prioritized those with past cannabis convictions in an effort to sort of bring people disproportionately impacted by marijuana law enforcement into the new industry. Under the state's uh, cannabis law, disabled veterans are also supposed to receive priority in the licensing process, but they feel the long wait in the Empire State has hurt their chances, and uh, we should know which direction uh, the court goes in this matter early next week. But uh, for a program that's already had its issues in the rollout, we now are sort of at a, a, a complete standstill. Yeah, it's another setback. Um, and it not only hurts the people who received the licenses already, the card uh, applicants that actually received is over several hundred uh, licenses and are re some ready to open. Uh, but it also the producers, the the growers, the cultivators, the processors um, have that many fewer places to distribute their product. And right now it's, I think, something like 20, you know, less than less than two dozen 
licensed retailers in the whole state of New York, mm-hmm. um, which is really a shame uh, because, you know, it's it's been legal for over two years now and we really need to get to where um, the licensed shops have tested uh, quality material uh, and can actually compete with all the unlicensed ones if they, you know, if they could. So I, you know, I think it's just another setback and we just have to wait. And uh, there's been setbacks along the way already. And here's another one. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, there's MSOs that are also trying to push against uh, these card applicants and and licensees. So, uh, you know, we're up against a lot here, but I know who I'm spending my money with. I know where, you know, my hard-earned dough is going to go uh for what kind of cannabis from from what kind of producers so um and i hope i hope we all kind of get get on board with the small batch small farmers um the micro licenses and and all of that so uh we have to wait a little longer but you know we've been waiting so far and uh we'll get there eventually Yes, indeed. Although it is sort of um, exasperated or made even more apparent because while New York is stumbling in implementing this adult use program, our neighboring state, Connecticut, hit a retail record for cannabis sales in July with $13 million of recreational cannabis sold. And that's a total of $23.6 million of total pot products sold if you include the $10.6 million of medical marijuana sold in the nutmeg state so connecticut was able to implement their program and uh are hitting sales records there Mm, well that's you know some some good news from our neighbor to the north yeah just imagine what new york would be doing though if we could uh if we could get it together here okay and finally uh this is an odd one um I guess we could file this under stupid, but uh, a GOP congressman who sponsored a bill targeting immigrants who lie about using drugs on their visa applications is attempting to have Prince Harry deported. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) apparently Prince Harry um, has been very open about using cannabis and psychedelics prior to coming to America. And uh, now a conservative think tank is uh, attempting to get Prince Harry's immigration records in an attempt to catch him lying on his visa application. An obvious and idiotic stunt, but this comes from Congressman Greg Stube, who introduced the Spare Act. And I'd love to spare you all of the details, but the congressman had this to say in a press release, quote, The Biden administration deliberately refuses to enforce our country's immigration laws at the southern border, and it appears they may be obstructing the fair and equal enforcement of our visa laws as well. Left-wing celebrities like Prince Harry, who have a self-recorded history of illegal drug use, should be subjected to the same standards and enforcement of our country's immigration laws as any other alien. So... If only there was some way to deport Congressman Stube, uh, perhaps the next best thing is just to vote him out of office. Yeah, I think I'm going to go smoke a Stube, actually, in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, deport Prince Harry because he smoked some weed before coming to America it makes perfect sense and a good use of our uh, tax dollars at work. So thank you very much uh, to the congressman. <laughs> Stube. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but I really hope it is. Stupid. 
Anyway, uh, that's a bit of a look at what's going on in the world of cannabis. But we have a really exciting interview coming up for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have Akili Parnell. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lab 11 and Umi Farms uh, in Chicago. And uh, he's uh, someone we wanted to talk to for a while. He's going to tell us all about uh, what's going on in Illinois and beyond. Uh, so why don't we take a break? Uh, and come back with Akili Parnell. Whether you're growing from seed or from clone, Prime Superior's simple, safe, and effective products can take your cultivation program to the next level. Prime Superior offers a two-step process that will benefit any garden. This is possible thanks to Prime Superior's proprietary strain of Bovaria bassiana, which is optimized for plants and sets up a symbiosis that increases terpenes, cannabinoids, and yield. Simply coat your seed to inoculate and aid rapid germination or dip your clone cutting with the world's first biological cloning honey and improve growth the way nature intended. Next, continue maintenance on your crop with foliar or fog applications of Prime Superior's Drench, which will boost your plant's growth and ensure a healthy harvest. Best of all, the Drench will work with already established gardens, so anyone at any stage of growth can achieve a cleaner crop with better yields. I gotta tell you, I use this stuff myself, not just on my cannabis, but on houseplants as well, and everything has greened up. Everything is super healthy, whether it's the seed coating product, the cloning honey, which is incredible. The drench is absolutely great. It comes in a spray bottle, uh, pre-mixed, so it's ready to be sprayed. This stuff is incredible. And I have literally noticed more cannabinoids and more terpenes. So it really is an amazing product. And now's the time to try Prime Superior and the world's first biological cloning honey. Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use the code PS420 for 15% off their entire order at primesuperior.com. So don't hesitate, inoculate, and visit primesuperior.com today to learn more. All right, welcome back. And we have a special guest for you guys this week. Uh, he is Akili Parnell. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lab 11 and Umi Farms. These are two uh, Chicago-born craft cannabis brands uh, in Chicago. And uh, welcome to the show, Akili. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate it. Um, really excited about what we got going with Lab 11 and Umi Farms. So, you know, just sort of explain like Umi Farms is like sort of our parent brand and company. And then Lab 11 is really is like our extraction lab. We just go and try to make uh, cool new products, um, bring other like forms of formulation and cannabis products that we haven't seen in Illinois to market and just like try to have fun. So uh, that's what it is. Um, we got a dispensary, uh, First dispensary location and opening probably by the end of the year. A couple of others coming after that um, under the Umi brand. And we have like our full grows, Umi, my product brands coming out under Umi in addition to Lab 11. So, yeah, man, that's what we got going. That's awesome. Yeah. And so uh, Lab 11 is uh, a minority and veteran owned social equity brand. Um, and I really, I really love uh, the branding in general, like just checking out the website. It's very like, retro and i think the whole idea is sort of uh you know you're trying to bring back that the the high school high or like the uh the first high kind of vibe right yeah yeah and you know we don't necessarily say you know like high school uh Not high school high. 
But for a lot of people, that that was their first high. And so if that's like the nostalgic journey that we take you on, then that's cool. You know, we're definitely not targeting high school kids. If, you know, to be clear, if regulators are listening, but right, for, right. you know, the reality is a lot of people who are now adults and ready to consume, you know, first, uh, you know, encountered the plant and met the plant and in some cases found love uh you know maybe when they were 16 or so a little younger so you know that's a journey that some people taking on some people it'll be 18 and you know some of my friends some of my friends who are like the biggest smokers now didn't start until they were like 30 i literally have a friend who's like 30 uh well he's not 30 anymore but he started smoking when he was 30 he's like 38 now we make fun of him because like he will just not stop but he was like afraid to smoke like his entire life so you know some people their journey is not as long but some people will be longer Right, right. You know, we kind of talk about it like uh, either being like born rich or then like winning the lottery later in life. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, so but you come come to cannabis from uh, being a business attorney, correct? I mean, you have a master's degree and a law degree uh, and a, we're working as a business attorney after college. Yeah, I come to like the legal cannabis industry from that. Obviously, like I was like I've been around the plant my whole life and loved it and all that stuff and everything. But you know, coming to the legal cannabis industry before that, I was just like uh working at different law firms. You know, I had done like some a lot of social justice work before I became a lawyer in Chicago and other places and um stuff like that. But at the time I was like a corporate lawyer doing like business deals and like stock exchange stuff and finance and a lot of stuff that ended up being really helpful trying to start a cannabis business, but like didn't have like in my mind at the time, a direct relation to the cannabis industry. So uh, yeah, so that's what I was doing. And that was my first step into the legal cannabis space was uh, working as a, a deal attorney for what grew into Greetham um, Industries, one of the largest cannabis companies by like size and market cap and all that kind of stuff and really profitable. So I started working with them, but yeah, that's how I got into this. Yeah. And you're from originally from Alabama and now in Chicago, uh, two places that are obviously very strongly affected by uh, the war on drugs. Uh, can you talk a little bit about just, uh, you know, what the, 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 the devastation that has been wreaked upon, uh, places like Alabama and Illinois by, uh, this, uh, very disparate, uh, racist policy? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I'm originally from, uh, Birmingham, Alabama is where I was born, um, and lived until I was 18, um. Grew up in a predominantly black, almost like all black neighborhood, devastated by the war on drugs. A lot of history to that neighborhood, like Condoleezza Rice and Angela Davis and like other people are from that part of Birmingham that I'm from is different parts. But like um, Birmingham is like a predominantly black city, has really high rates of poverty, really high gun violence rates, usually in the top three or four, five in the country every year so in a lot of ways like my neighborhood or my city was like a microcosm of chicago chicago's like all the stuff that i grew up around times like 10 because of the size or more and so you know we grew up being you know really like extremely afraid like cannabis is everywhere friends were you know had friends that were you know selling weed neighbors and stuff like that from like the age of like 11 and 12 and, you know, because they were just involved in, you know, the unregulated economy and trying to find ways to, you know, just not even like do big crazy stuff or be like big rich, you know, what they call drug dealers, just like, you know, buy regular shit that kids want. 
um, and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, there, but at the same time, like the laws and the penalties for any kind of drug possession, um, certainly for cannabis um, down south, or certainly in Alabama where I was, were extremely severe. I think, and I haven't, I got to check it again, but I think even today, even after passing medical, like if you are caught selling a joint, like that's a felony charge. Wow. In Alabama. But like selling a joint or it's certainly an ounce or something like that, like you can go and do real prison time for that. So, uh, whereas it's not, it has not always been the case in a lot of other places. And so the consequences for, you know, enjoying the plant as a consumer or being in the unregulated economy where I'm from is like, it was like really, really, really serious stuff. In addition to like the, um, sort of, you know, the stigma and the culture around cannabis and all that being, because it's such a conservative and very religious place, um, you know, there's also that aspect. But, you know, in a lot of ways, Chicago is not that different, especially for black and brown folks in the communities that they grew up in, you know, it's a lot of the same stuff. And so, you know, that's what it was like, you know, Chicago is like my, you know, sort of second home, adopted home and been here since, moved here originally in 2008. Um, and yeah, I've been there ever since, and my whole cannabis career has been built here. So, yeah. And what are some of the challenges that you faced uh, in Illinois, in particular? I know uh, MSOs op- are operating there uh, early on uh, with legalization, whereas in New York we have kind of the opposite. They tried to do, uh, you know, let some of the smaller uh, and social equity brands uh, get a foothold before the MSOs get in. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about some of the challenges? Yeah, for sure. You know, the challenges here are kind of like the challenges are pretty similar to the challenges that, you know, social equity entrepreneurs or any entrepreneurs in this space face and the big challenge is access to capital. Um, well, first, like getting a license and I had been involved in all these like application rounds and places like Ohio and Pennsylvania for medical and things like that from working at GTI. Because I started there back before Rec passed in Illinois. So the company was just expanding in like medical market. It's and the applications were like extremely expensive, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, really technical stuff. I mean, in a lot of ways it's kind of overkill, but you know, all these states were like legalizing this, you know, this drug, this thing that's kind of scary. And so they came up with a whole lot of regulations around it, um, because there's so many unknowns. And so when it came to social equity folks or just regular folks who didn't have generational wealth behind them and tons of wealthy investors to support a venture where they may or may not be successful, um, you know, it's, it's, it got really tough. And then, you know, the access to capital piece touches on all the other aspects because, you know, the initial big companies, not like the founders necessarily knew how to grow the best weed or how to, you know, um, process and extract cannabis in, a recent, in really sophisticated ways. But they had the money to go and buy that talent and buy that expertise. And if you don't have the money to do that, even if you were in, you know, the legacy market before, um, you know, you may not know everything about cannabis. And he may have been like sort of on the direct consumer side, but maybe not on the production side. And so uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs like like myself, um, it's really tough because if you don't have that capital, it's almost impossible to win a license and then go on to be successful and start a business and have everything dialed in. So, um, you know, Illinois took some really aggressive steps 
to try to fix that. Same would happen in California and Colorado, where there was just like virtually like no diversity um, in the legal cannabis industry, like socioeconomic, racial diversity, all that stuff. Um, and so they created a social equity program where the cost to apply for a dispensary license were like significantly reduced. Like I can understand, you know, in certain ways, like manufacturing and cultivation can be very, very sophisticated and complicated. Running a dispensary, honestly, I mean, I'm not saying it's just like a piece of cake, but like it's not rocket science by any stretch of the imagination. And so like, you know, Illinois sort of took a few steps back and were like, okay, how do we like simplify this a little bit and make it more accessible? It was still really competitive. And then New York decided, you know what, even that, that process created an advantage for people that were highly capitalized and had generational wealth and there were disparities associated with that. It didn't have anything to do with running a good dispensary. And so, um, so I like, I like what I'm seeing in states where they're like sort of learning from the past states' mistakes. Um, of course, I've been involved in legalization efforts in New York and helping social equity businesses and just involve people with licenses. And my partner and her family won two of the first dispensary licenses in New York. So I've seen that process played out. Definitely a lot of challenges there and issues. But, you know, I like the iterations that we're seeing in new social equity programs uh, across the country. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, let's talk about Lab 11 a little more, because um, this is the brand uh, that you are basically releasing right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, coming at this business from uh, a legal perspective as a business attorney, um, you know, what can you what can you tell us about, uh, you know, people, what, what kind of advice can you give to someone else who wants to basically uh, start a brand and also, uh, you know, tell me a little bit more about your particular brand, uh, Lab 11, under the UMI umbrella. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for somebody that wants to start a brand, you know, there's several different ways to get into it. I mean, you can start by, like, sort of feeling like, okay, I have a particular expertise in production, you know, and maybe that's cultivation, maybe that's processing extraction, maybe it's both. Uh, maybe I have unique genetics, and you can sort of use that as a basis to then, like, come up with a brand concept. Or some people are just like good at like, you know, branding and marketing, like, you know, and some really successful cannabis brands. It's not like they were necessarily driven by amazing, I'm not gonna name names, but there are some that are really successful and they're not necessarily driven by like the most amazing genetics and stuff like that, but they like had a really great, you know, brand concept and they have a really strong marketing team. And, you know, that's been a leg up. So you can start either one of those directions, I think, and sort of put in the other pieces. Um, but of course, you know, you need a good idea to start, whether you're starting with the production and the product or you're starting with like, you know, the lifestyle that you're selling to consumers and the, the sort of image that you're selling to consumers, which is what a lot of celebrities do, you know, sort of like a lot of celebrity brands, they're not, they're starting with their lifestyle brand and then they're going and getting the product and, you know, and get somebody else to, to create that. So just really depends on what your passion is. And I always say like people will like it. You know, running a business and launching a brand and cannabis is really hard. And so I think it's best for people to focus on, like, what do I really have the drive and the passion to see this through on? Um, because when stuff gets tough and it's not fun anymore, unless you're really passionate about it, you're going to quit or you're not going to do it that good. And so that's that's my main advice, you know, and as far as like the legal advice, like, you know, come up with your ideal first and then, you know, craft your idea and mold and shape your idea to fit whatever regulations and stuff there are. Uh, wherever you're at, but you know, I don't think the legal stuff. Once you got the license, 
just like what you know we don't think of it like so much on, on that front think of it more as like hey what would be cool what would we like to see as like consumers like as people who love the plant like what do we want to see in the marketplace and let's build that and then if the laws and regulations have an impact on that then we mold it to fit that um, yeah it's funny sorry, that's that's the same advice that I give uh, to cultivators that you're giving to the the business people is is keep the keep the enjoyment and the fun there. And I think that's kind of uh, what I see from Lab Eleven. It's like uh, you know trying to bring the the uh, enhancement and the fun and the joy uh, that cannabis brings us, uh, and 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 focus on that um, rather than always you know the bottom line or or uh, you know making an, an extra buck or whatever it might be. Uh, and and so that's kind of my advice I give to growers. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, the products that you guys have out now and uh, upcoming as well. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, with Lab Eleven, like Lab Eleven was inspired by like you know us wanting to restore a feeling that we felt like was lost in cannabis legalization and the corporatization, the legalization, and like create a lifestyle brand that reflected like you know, how we interacted with cannabis and how it fit into our lives as like, you know, people that live in Chicago and are like active in the food and the music scene and the streetwear scene and all that stuff. And we feel like there wasn't a cannabis brand that did that. And so that's really what we want to do in addition to like bringing back that feeling. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where cannabis has always been that sort of, you know, countercultural. Uh, like freedom. your first. Sorry. Right. Like your first high. <laughs> I love it because, uh, even looking at the website, you know, it's got that like, you know, 80s, 90s kind of throwback uh, vibe to it. And I think we could all benefit from a little bit of that because we're all so caught up now uh, with social media and so many things changing very quickly. Um, where do you see things at, though? Do you think that, you know, federal legalization is on the horizon? Do you think, uh, you know, the Safe Banking Act? Do you think um, social equity is improving? Uh, state by state, what what are your what, where do you see the state of the industry right now? Yeah, with federal legalization, I'll start with that one. I don't know when it's going to happen. I was a little bit more bullish and like excited for federal legalization uh, a couple years ago, but with the current climate of like politics in America at the national level, which is the main sticking point, like states are like every year it's like three new states with a yes, legalization, yes, legalization every year, like really, really conservative states are like, yes, medical. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before they uh, see the light on brick too. But the federal government, I mean, it's not even about the issue of cannabis at this point. I feel like it's really just about um, like sort of like game theory and back and forth, like, uh, you know, sort of like, personal and political beef between the Democrats and Republicans and like, you know, neither side wants to give the other side, but, you know, they want not saying that they're like equal or like this is false equivalence on either side, or I certainly have like an opinion and, you know, and things like that. But at this point, I think cannabis legalization at the federal level is just stuck in American politics more than it is how the federal government even actually feels about cannabis as a plant. Um, so I think we're going to be in a situation where, you know, the majority of states maybe have even passed full rec. Like I know the majority of states now have had have either medical or rec. I can definitely see a situation where the majority of states have rec and we still don't have federal legalization, whatever that looks like. You know, the main things for me as a business owner is like 280E 
and like really 280e because that tax burden is like heavy and then of course like uh making banking services more accessible you know maybe one day loans and things like that but you know i don't think that any operator right now can really hang their hat on uh federal legalization or base their business model off of legalization at the national level at this point i think you got to just build your business as though it's not going to happen in the next five to ten years so um, so yeah so yeah. that's where we're at with social equity um super exciting stuff is happening we're definitely seeing the market become more diverse like illinois you know sometimes you know people are like oh illinois was a failure i was like well it used to be that the goal was just to even get other people to own licenses like that was a huge challenge like california struggled most places in california struggled with that like all the other states struggled with that and so in, the, in illinois we did get licenses in the hands of lots of people who come to me that have been devastated by on drugs which is when the next step is getting those businesses operational which is really hard and that's been difficult um new york you know at least on the retail side this also often gets uh sort of glossed over there's like People feel like, you know, New York is like sort of found the right approach and stuff like that. But the cultivation market in New York is actually not diverse at all. Um, certainly not. We didn't achieve like racial diversity there. But on the retail side, you know, there's definitely some progress there. And they try to attack, you know, the biggest challenge which is access to capital. Um, and then, you know, we're still getting tripped up on some other stuff, but definitely really, really ambitious, laudable goals there. And I hope that that program, you know, is able to work out some more of the kinks and get things up and running. The rollout's been really slow, um, but sometimes that's that's good. You know, you can't do sometimes you can't do really good stuff really fast, and that's just reality. And at the end of the day, governments their hands are tied a little bit on what they can do because they only have so much money, uh, especially at the state level. And cannabis is really expensive, and launching a business is really expensive. So, uh, you know, I'm proud of the efforts that people are making. Hindsight's always 2020. I would do a lot of things differently if I could, but um, fortunately and unfortunately, I'm not in government right now, so I can't, can't change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, now, tell me about the name Umi Farms and where uh, the inspiration came from uh, for Umi in particular, U-M-I. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Umi, um, so the inspiration from that, the inspiration from all the stuff that, you know, all our brand concepts and everything comes from like enjoying the plant at home, you know? Uh, so yeah, it was like smoking and just like trying to connect with like, we sort of had a vision for like the vibe that we wanted to feel um, with Umi. And it was like sort of reconnecting with with the plant, with like the earth, not in some like pie in the sky, hippie dippy way, because I'm not even exactly like that, but like as an urban person who like enjoys cannabis out in nature and like finding, you know, you know, um, your lived environment in nature and outdoors as a city person and like going on hikes or just going through, um, you know, parks in Chicago, like Chicago has like some of the most amazing parks in the country. And not recommending people smoke weed in the parks if it says don't smoke weed, but some people may, you know, go and enjoy the product and then go out in nature and enjoy themselves. And so I wanted like a brand that sort of reflected that from like the perspective of like someone like myself that lives in the city and, you know, for a lot of like black and brown people, people assume don't enjoy nature as much and stuff. So that was where the inspiration came from. It was just like, um, and then of course the name, 
Uh, there's like, you know, a song by Mos Def that was part inspiration for it, which means, um, and the word means mother, like my, me, my mother. And, you know, when it comes to cannabis, you know, um, in, the, in the cannabis that we smoke being a female plant and, you know, Mother Jane, uh, Mary Jane and mother plants and all these like just sort of like references to uh, the plant that I just felt like made sense and like felt like good inspiration for a product brand um, and the product brand that we were trying to create. And so that's ultimately where the inspiration came from. It's just like a lot of like triple entendres and stuff uh, from the name. So. <laughs> I love it. I love that it's, you know, inspired and powered by the cannabis plant for sure. Um, thank you so much, Akili. Uh, can you let people know uh, how to stay up to date on Lab 11 and Umi Farms and how to uh, basically keep up with what what uh, what's going on in Chicago and elsewhere? Yeah, definitely. I think the best way to stay up with what's going on with Lab 11 is to follow us on Instagram at GetLab11. Um, also, the website, www.thelab11. And then you can follow me on Instagram. It's Akili underscore J, A-K-E-L-E underscore J. And you can keep up with all the stuff that we got going on. Um, definitely getting a lot of media coverage and Skype. Um, can't wait to open our first retail store, which is going to be in Lincoln Park. It's going to be the first dispensary in Lincoln Park once we get the zoning approval and get that up and running. So super excited about that. I think the design, the customer experience is going to be really unique and people are going to love it. In addition to all the merch that we got coming out, which people are loving. So more of that is going to be up on the website soon. You can definitely follow all that on Instagram. So yeah, check us out. Awesome. Appreciate it so much. Uh, thank you so much. For being on the show and uh we will be back after these messages hey friends i just want to let you know that friends don't let friends bring clones home you don't know what the phenotypes are you don't know whether there's pests or disease on those clones the only way to really truly guarantee you're growing the phenotype of choice is through seeds. And the best way to get the seeds you want is through Seeds Here Now. Established way back in 2010, Seeds Here Now has been satisfying customers with the best genetics from the best breeders in the world. Pretty much anyone you want, they've got. With an average rating of 4.8 stars, Seeds Here Now is one of the most trusted and respected seed banks in the world. And Seeds Here Now is the only seed bank with a satisfaction guarantee. Plus, Seeds Here Now offers regular deals on seeds. Just click the On Sale tab on their website to see that month's deals on a variety of incredible genetics. And if you sign up for their email list, you'll be entered to win free seeds every time a Seeds Here Now email goes out. And Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use the promo code GBY10 for 10% off anything on the site. So check out SeedsHereNow.com and get started on your own dream garden. All right, welcome back, and uh, thank you again to Akili Parnell, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Umi Farms and Lab 11 in Chicago. Um, yeah, man, I think we're in the cultivation segment, and I also do believe it's been a fortnight. <laughs> and yes, this is a fortnight. And yes, this is a fortnight. Strain of the fortnight. What do you got for us? Uh, what do you got for us this week? Strain of the fortnight. Strain of the fortnight. 
Oh, and there's the song we all know <laughs> and love, courtesy. Absolutely. Yes, courtesy of our uh, super fan, Gunja Gonzalez. So, yes, that signifies it is strain of the Fortnite. And uh, what strain are you highlighting this Fortnite? Yes. So, this Fortnite, I would like to talk about Papaya Power from Sin City Seeds. Um, this is an indica dominant hybrid, uh, known for, you know, mental calmness. A lot of people, uh, you know, that are, uh, suffering from anxiety and ADHD and, and, and stress of different kinds, uh, really like the indica dominant, uh, hybrids and particularly, uh, ones that create a body high, but also a, uh, mental calmness. So that's, that's what this is all about. Uh, it's a cross of papaya and blue power. Uh, the papaya is originally uh, Nirvana seeds strain. That was their take on sort of uh, mango that was going around Holland uh, back in the day. Uh, so they basically took uh, citral, uh, citral number 13, crossed that with ice number two uh, to make their version of a, sort of a mango fruit sort of strain. Um, very... Uh, uh, like I said, very relaxing, you know, and that's the thing about uh, this strain in particular. So that papaya, uh, Sin City crossed with their blue power, uh, another indica dominant signature strain uh, from Sin City uh, that is bred from Sour Double, uh, Master Kush, the white and blue moonshine. Um, so that's where it gets that blue power. Um, it's got like some lemon and berry flavors, a uh, nice earthy finish. Uh, being an indica, you know, this is like under 60 day flowering time, I would say uh, 55 to 60 days. Um, and uh, you're also in luck because our advertiser and friends at seedsherenow.com actually offered the papaya power from Sin City Seeds. Uh, they've got it on discount right now, too. These are feminized seeds, uh, a seven pack uh, for 66 66 uh, 66 bucks. Uh, so under 10 bucks a seed um, for this papaya power and they're feminized. So uh, you're not going to have to you know, kill off half of them because they're males either. Um, so if you're looking for a real nice uh, indica dominant fruity uh, fruit strain for sure, papaya and all of that citral, a lot of, a lot of citrus and fruit in this one. Um, but really it's about the effect as well. Uh, and that really calming, uh, buzz no not even i wouldn't call it a buzz i would just say very like relaxing and calming uh couch lock indica type strain so uh check out seedsherenow.com uh be sure to use our code uh for the free shipping i think that's gby free ship uh and get the get yourself some papaya power from sin city seeds uh which is our strain of the fortnight i should also mention um seeds here now also has uh an event coming up that I'm very excited about. It's called, it's their national dog day extravaganza. Um, this is on the 26th of August, all the, uh, they're celebrating national dog dog day mm. um, with an exclusive one day sale. So all the dog and dog misspelled D A W G related strains are going to be at a 20% discount. So chem dog, star dog, um, all of that stuff, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever dog strains they've got over there and i know they've got a, a good amount of them so remember that uh on the 26th of august uh national dog day extravaganza 20 percent off all dog related strains uh so if you're looking for that uh chem dog 
you know, or or star dog or any of those dog uh, hybrids or strains, uh, look no further than August 26th at seedsherenow.com uh, for that 20% uh, off. And uh, my tail is wagging, just thinking about it. <laughs> I yeah, love that... It, that whole family of strains. Yeah, that is terrific. And uh, who doesn't want to celebrate dogs? And you could do it with some fire strains. So good stuff. Check out Seeds Here Now. And uh, our listeners know that each week uh, you like to provide a tip that's going to help them become better cultivators. So what would you like to discuss this week? Yeah, so this week I'd like to basically give you eight ways that you can increase your yields right now. So if you have plants growing right now uh and you want to increase the yield the eventual yield that you get from those plants uh i'm going to give you eight simple ways to increase your yields uh some of these things are maybe things you're already doing but this is just you know getting it out there uh for the beginners and for the average joe uh with a nice grow tent uh that wants to get a little extra out of their plants um so here's the eight things the first one is increasing light intensity uh if your plants are getting a good amount of light, it doesn't hurt to add supplemental lighting, uh, LEDs on the side, even fluorescent lighting on the side uh, or above will always help out. Uh, you know, you don't want to overdo it, obviously, but uh, increasing light intensity is great. And even sometimes that might just mean lowering a light uh, a little closer to your plants, uh, not too close, of course, but uh, if you've got your light three or four feet away, that's probably too far. Um, unless there's a bunch of lights in the space, you know, like an industrial size, but in a tent, uh, you know, you want your light to, to go up and down. Uh, and as your plants grow, you can raise it. If you can't raise the light and it's fixed, uh, then, you know, by all means, raise the plants and lower them, but increasing light intensity for sure. Uh, second tip would be, uh, extending the vegetative stage. If your plants are in veg right now and you're getting ready to flip them into flower, um, give them an extra week of veg. Uh, do some training techniques and basically just extend the vegging stage. Um, and that will then uh, help you yield more, of course, because you're going to have bigger plants. Um, adding CO2, carbon dioxide, uh, even, you know, there's expensive ways to do it with tanks and, and, and monitors and also uh, CO2 generators and things like that. But if you're just in a small tent, a four by four, uh, three by three, um, there's much cheaper ways to do this uh, with CO2 buckets and bags uh, that basically release just a good amount of CO2 uh, for like about a 60-day flowering period, which is exactly what you want. Um, and then you can compost uh, the mushroom materials that are inside there as well, which is great for your compost. Uh, and, you know, you could do that every time you you, uh, you you flip your plants into flower into flowering and you'll you will result in larger yields with more CO2. Uh, in the space. And one of the added benefits is plants can tolerate a little more heat too. So um, step, you know, tip number four would be to cool down the room. You want your room to be under 80 degrees and you really want to check at leaf level, you know, it can't be level under the light because that's where it's going to be the hottest. And if it's 85, 90 degrees right there, or if it's 85, 90 degrees in your house, uh, you got problems. The plants are not going to grow. So uh, bring in some AC, however you can, cool the room. Um, if you're lucky enough to have central air, that's great. If not, uh, cool things down, get it under 80, um, and you'll certainly increase your yield. Uh, another tip is uh, dialing in relative humidity. Um, if humidity is too low or way too high, uh, your plants really don't like it. And uh, 
you can't just leave it to chance. You really have to measure humidity because it changes often uh, based on weather, obviously, and, and where you live. Um, some people suffer from really low relative humidity. Some people always, it's always high. Either way, um, you want to bring it to around 50%, uh, between 40 and 60, basically, relative to the uh, where your plants are at. You know, it could be a little higher during the, the seedling and veg stage and a little lower uh, as you approach harvest during flowering. So um, you basically want to go from basically about 60 to down to 40 as the plant matures. Um, dialing in pH, this is a big issue and a lot of people really just kind of leave it to chance as well. Um, having your pH right around 6.2 if you're in uh, a soilless mix or soil kind of uh, cocoa situation uh, is pretty good. Uh, you certainly don't want to be at seven or higher, and you certainly wouldn't want to go below uh, 5.5 or so uh, in that type of mix. With hydro, you can go a little lower. I'd say, you know, anywhere between 5.5 and uh, 6.0 uh, in hydroponics. But dial that in. Make sure uh, what you're adding to your plants. Also, like you want to know the so the pH of your mix, but also whatever you're adding and then whatever's coming out of it as well. You want to check everything. Um, to dial that in because plants will not take in nutrients if the pH is off. Um, seventh thing, don't ignore problems. If there's yellowing of leaves, if there is, you know, rust spots, whatever it is, signs of pests, whatever it is, don't ignore it. They don't go away. They only get worse. Um, and I know <laughs> denial is not just a river in Egypt because I've been there and I've I've looked at, you know, and just kind of said, you know what, I'll deal with this another day, whatever it might be, just make sure to deal with it as soon as possible. Don't ignore problems. They only get worse. Uh, and that's going to increase your yields um, just in fixing those problems immediately. Uh, and and then uh, I, would say, I have to say that's a pretty good life lesson generally. So <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do not ignore problems. They don't go away for the most part. So uh, and certainly when you're cultivating, you know, they only get worse. Um, and the eighth thing, the final way to increase your yield is basically to transplant into bigger pots. I preach this all the time, but I do see a lot of uh, plants in pots that are too small for them and uh, yields being you know, severely undercut by uh, basically root-bound plants. And even if you added a gallon or two uh, container size, you would result in uh, a lot more of a harvest. So that's my eight uh, eight tips or eight ways to increase yields uh, starting today, right now. So, uh, you know, get to it. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Very good tips. Eight, eight tips that are going to help you out in the grow room. Don't wait on them. Address them immediately, says Dan. So good stuff there. And yes, it is now time to take some questions from our listeners. And uh, if you have a question you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. You could email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, but you could also get us on Patreon if you're a member there or on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, etc. So let's dive right in here with Harry in the Hood which I love. That's a, that's a bit of a fish reference there. And he <laughs> writes, uh, he writes, Danny, all of the newest shoots and leaves of my outdoor plants and pots are turning bright yellow, like super bright yellow, almost white, starting up the stem and then slowly working the way out to the ends of the leaves. 
what's happening and how do I fix this? Harry in the hood. Uh, what would you say here to Harry? Yes. Okay. So this one I have experienced. And I think I know exactly what's happening. Uh, I believe what you have is an iron deficiency. Uh, if it was calcium or magnesium, it would more it would start more on the outside of the leaves and work its way in. If it's starting on the inside, working its way out, uh, it sounds like a lack of iron. Now, um, especially because it's the new growth as well. Iron is a micronutrient um, that you know is usually present, but can certainly be washed off uh, over time of just constant watering. Uh, typically, iron deficiencies can also be caused by pH issues, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Sometimes it what you know what looks like a, a deficiency is actually a pH imbalance. Um, but if you have determined that you know your newest leaves are completely yellow and then they do turn like not even yellow, it's like a bright color. Um, I would say you probably have that iron deficiency. Uh, a lot of iron, you know, you you know, uh, well, let's back up a little. Uh, it's a semi-mobile nutrient, and it helps maintain uh, the structure structure and function of chloroplasts. So iron is very important to have in a very small amount. Uh, and in many ways, iron is is there in like CalMag, which as a joke, you know, people always say you need CalMag. Uh, but the reality is, is that uh, a lot of times the CalMag is the solution. And a lot of CalMag actually does contain iron. So if you just search for um, you know, CalMag with iron, uh, you'll see a lot of different companies. Uh, Blue Planet Nutrients has that. Uh, I believe uh, Humboldt's Secret, they have a CalMag with iron. Um, so those are specific CalMags with iron. Uh, our friends at Sweetleaf Plant Nutrients have an amazing product called, called Micros Madness, liquid plant fertilizer. And it has a bunch of the micros that you need, uh, all in very small amounts, but all that are necessary. And that includes uh, boron and copper and uh, molybdenum and cobalt and manganese and zinc, all these things. You just need like a, a few parts per million, but they've got to be there. And having them there actually results in way better uh, growth, particularly during the vegging stage, uh, but throughout growth, you know, micros are necessary all the time. So I would say Fix the pH if that's the issue, you know, uh, if you have to just flush everything out and and start fresh with either pH up or down, um, if it's the medium. Uh, and then, uh, you know, once you've adjusted the pH to the correct range, which I would say, you know, between 6 and 6.0 and 6.5, uh, if you're in hydro or even, you know, cocoa core, I would say 5.5 to 6.0. Uh, but once you've managed it and adjusted it, um, then you want to add some of that, uh, any kind of nutrient that contains some iron, whether it be like the CalMag or the uh, Myco Madness. Um, I highly recommend the Myco Madness just because that covers a lot of micros that are necessary in small amounts. Um, and they also have a CalMag product uh, separate from that uh, that you can use as well. Uh, so definitely check for our friends at Sweetleaf, S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. And, uh, you know, once you've given the plant a little iron boost, uh, you should see those leaves recover pretty well. I have seen them bounce back and green up. Um, if they've gone too far, they might, you know, you might just need to uh, start some new shoots there. But um, 
I have seen them definitely green up very much uh, after recovering a recovery period of a few days, I would say, you know, five to eight days or so um, is when you should start seeing uh, signs of uh, that deficiency going away and uh, more greening up of your plants. All right. Excellent. Good stuff. We hope that helps you out there, Harry, in the hood. Uh, let's jump over to Facebook here. This uh, comes from Mark, and he writes, uh, Hey, guys, any insight on the benefit of using Neptune's harvest liquid humate on plants? Or do you think it's just snake oil? Uh, yeah, interesting. What would you say to Mark K? Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, it's a great product, actually. Neptune's harvest... Uh, is a great organic fertilizer. It's been around for many, many years. Um, and they have uh, a number of different uh, applications and different application rates, obviously. Uh, but I do love the liquid humate uh, product uh, because basically, you know, humic and fulvic acids are very important. I mean, that's basically what, um, it's a soil conditioner. It helps with chelating. Uh, so, it attaches to those micronutrients, forms a bond with them, uh, and allows them to be absorbed by your plant roots. So uh, very important to have. Uh, it occurs naturally out there, you know, just from the breakdown of organic material. Um, so, you know, composting creates a lot of humic and fulvic. Uh, but uh, it's great to have added as well. And they do have a great product, um, that liquid humate. It's a 12% concentrate. Um, so you certainly would want to use the instructions and dilute it to the proper level. Uh, but it helps with ion exchange, um, soil buffering, uh, really important. And even with the uh, previous question about micronutrients, um, humic acid actually really does help out uh, with those calcium and iron, zinc, uh, manganese. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of benefits uh, of it. I certainly wouldn't call it snake oil at all. I think it increases nutrient uptake, um, helps with water retention and drainage, uh, really just supports healthy microbial activity. And I think um, to me, that's super important and it's a great organic boost uh, for your plants. So uh, I would highly recommend uh, not just humic, but fulvic acid, humic and fulvic uh, when growing your cannabis. All right, there you go. Hope that helps you out there, Mark. Uh, let's do one more here. Uh, another email question. This one comes from DJ, RJ. Sorry, this comes from RJ. And he writes, Hey, fellas, uh, I grow outside in the beautiful Virginia sun, but recently I noticed that I'm missing chunks of my crop that had been there the night before, it's definitely not uh, plant snatchers based on the appearance of the surrounding garden. So the likely culprit is deer, which are pretty prevalent in the area. Any advice on how to prevent deer from eating my pot? Please help. So, yeah, uh, what, what would you say here to RJ? Yeah, you know, this is a tough one. Deer are certainly uh, a one of those predators for cannabis, even though <laughs> they're prey for most everything else they love they they love to eat uh young plants for for sure um not so much once they start flowering but w right up until they start flowering you know uh any kind of vegging plant uh and when they're starving they'll eat anything so if there's a drought and you've got some nice green healthy plants out there um deer will will flock to them 
so, you know, the most obvious thing is to erect fences or some type of fencing. Uh, you know, deer can hop fences. They're very, they can jump pretty high. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to use a fence, I would say uh, use a nice tall fence. Uh, I wouldn't recommend anything like barbed wire or electric fencing or anything like that. But, um, you know, that's the first thing. Now, if, uh, if the problem is rabbits and, you know, the fence will help, but you also need to dig that fence down deeper. If it's moles and rabbits and things like that, they can get under a fence. Um, but deer are going to try to go over for the most part. Um, so, you know, a nice tall fence uh, can deter them for sure. Um, they can be expensive. Uh, they're certainly going to uh, cause damage to your ecosystem because uh, it's not, other things will be prevented from getting in there too. Uh, also, if this is a gorilla garden, that could make it more obvious. Um, without a fence, uh, I would say, you know, any kind of uh, human hair, uh, human urine, uh, scented organic soap uh, in the area will deter them for the most part. I've seen a product called Panther Piss out there <laughs> in the uh, in the ether. <laughs> Certain uh, upstate grow uh, grow shops will have that too that you can kind of spread around. Uh, but you know, like I said, if they're starving, um, that's not going to keep them away. There's other things that people use mothballs. Uh, I know that you know some people think that mothballs can repel uh, deer as well. Anything that they smell that makes them fear, you know, that's why the panther piss works well is because they're scared uh, shitless of. Uh, of predators. So, um, and like I said, human hair, uh, you can even pee not on your plants, but near your plants, uh, with somewhat, some frequency and that would help too. Um, and other than that, once they really start popping flowers, uh, all over, uh, you, you're pretty much safe for the most part. Uh, although I have heard of deer and bear, uh, eating flowering plants, uh, on occasion. So, uh, either the fence or, you know, uh, repel them with uh, pee or hair or soap. <laughs> All right. Love it. So, yeah, there you go, RJ. Go out there and urinate on your crop. <laughs> Just <laughs> I don't did uh, not say that. <laughs> yeah. Urinate near advice. your crop. Or, you near know, maybe, maybe Dan will come out and, and take care of that himself, if you ask nicely. Uh, <laughs> Just don't tell That's anybody. Who's smoking it? There. That could. Oh my goodness! Business <laughs> idea. Yeah, love it. So, uh, thank you, RJ. We hope that helped more than it hurt. Um, and thanks to everybody who wrote in this week. If you have a question you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. The email is info at growbudyourself.com, plus all the socials and Patreon, etc. What do you say? Um, we take a short break. Come back and wrap this one up. Let's do it. Hey guys, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Excelsior Extracts. Outcast and TOH from Excelsior are incredible people, incredible growers, and they make an amazing product. Their THC-infused pain rub is made by patients for patients, and it provides powerful relief from pain. This product was developed to treat Outcast's chronic pain, and trust me, this is a super potent topical that really works. You can find out more about Excelsior on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's 
E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. Uh, DM them there to learn more about their amazing pain rub. And don't forget to tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. All right. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for listening to episode number 119. Thank you to Akili Parnell and everyone at Umi Farms and Lab 11. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Seeds Here Now. Remember the code uh, GBY free ship for free shipping on all your seeds. Uh, the Celebrate National Dog Day with them as well. Um, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, uh, Danko 15 for 15% off. And you can get even more percentages off uh, if you support us on patreon.com at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Danny Danko. Uh, Excelsior Extracts, THC-infused pain relief rub. Um, check them out on Instagram. Uh, Prime Superior Inoculant, the code with them is PS420 for 15% off. It's a great product. Uh, I highly recommend all of the uh, Prime Superior products. Uh, I use them myself, and uh, they're very helpful and uh, very superior. Um, thank you to you guys for listening. Thanks to you, Mike, uh, for putting up with me and uh, produ- production and co-hosting and all of that. Um, and that's it. I believe episode 119. Let's put it in the books. Mm-hmm.